but it works better if I do that. Wasn't that great? Don't, I don't know if y'all, don't, y'all notice this or not, but each week they adjust the little tones and the pitches of the keyboard and the organ, and that just worked together so well. Thank you! Thank y'all so much for doing all that this week. Keep it, even though we did a little more traditional, we still played with all of the tools that we have at our disposal. Uh, it's just great to see how people can work together and make such beautiful harmony and progress and all that kind of stuff. Would it be great if our world could work that way? That we could all come together with different pizza and parts and make a whole. So... We have been going through our New Testament together. Uh, The book of Acts is a case study of how it could have gone if we'd have just stayed with the Spirit indwelling in us. Um, As we turn the pages from last week, there was a lot that happened. If if you haven't read through chapters uh, uh, 12 through, through 19, I suggest you do that because it has all the places and names that are so familiar with us that if we go to church, you know, at least twice a year we've heard these names before. It is about Paul's missionary journey with him and Barnabas who has set out. Now, it is interesting to see that some of our Baptist heritage, we don't want to see how that took place. So when Paul and Barnabas went out on a missionary journey, it began with worship and fasting. And they worshiped and they fast because they were seeking something from God. They were seeking a message from the Holy Spirit so that they may go where the Holy Spirit would lead them because if they knew if it was our mission, if it was the if it was the their personal mission, it was going to fail. But if God had led them in the direction, it couldn't do anything but succeed because if God's hand is in it, it will do what God wants it to do. And so as they were worshiping and fasting, they heard the Holy Spirit move and call them on this journey and they set Paul and Barnabas apart to go and do these things. And then they started praying and fasting. Two times fasting pops up, something that we don't do as Baptists. But they have withdrawn something. They withheld something from their lives so that there would be space for God to work. Sometimes our schedules are so full that we've got to eliminate something so we can see what God is wanting us to do in the presence. And for these men, they eliminated the very act of eating so that the Spirit may have a place to speak. Then, then they go throughout uh, many places, and the gospel is spreading, but also the spread of resistance. Just as in Jesus' ministry, those who would oppose this new religion, this, this way, as it is called, start popping up to the point where Paul is even stoned. They think he's dead. They drag him out of the city, but he comes back and he goes and he preaches and these kind of things. And also, the famous Jerusalem Council takes place in these chapters. This is when the church gathers, the body together, to figure out what to do with these Gentiles. Because up until now, if a Gentile wanted to become a believer or wanted to practice Judaism, they had to go through a process. They basically had to convert. If you were male, that meant circumcision, and that meant following certain dietary rules. And you, you still were limited. You were never fully accepted because you weren't from the tribe or the house of a certain lineage. And, and so there's something happens in this, this council. 
they go to discuss what has taken place in the lives of these Gentiles. Now this council isn't so much about what God is doing, but about the Jews recognizing what God is doing in their presence. And so what takes place is, you know, they, they bring in examples and they even seek Paul and, and ask his advice and they finally come to a decision. James is there. And they, they rule a verdict and basically said Gentiles can come in. We're not going to force them to become Jews to become Christians, basically, is what it was saying. Because, guess what? Even without them, the Holy Spirit had spread into the Gentile world and they were speaking in tongues, they were healing people and all these things, just like it was happening in their own house. And they recognized that. And, and so the Jews basically recognized that they were, and that because they didn't have to become a Jew first to be saved by Jesus, to be the Savior of the whole world. It says... We recognize that, but they do need to abstain from just a couple things. But basically, don't do immoral acts and be who you were. Just be a follower of Christ because God is, is leading you differently than he's leading us. And we've recognized that is what this council said because God had already welcomed them in. But also in these pages, we see that Paul and Barnabas aren't these super saints that sometimes we paint the picture of. They had a falling out. If you didn't know that, you need to read these scriptures. You can find out about it. It was because of one of Barnabas's relatives, John Mark, who was with them, who, who kind of failed at one point, and Barnabas was wanting to bring him along, and Paul said, no, he already abandoned us. We're not bringing him, and they, they couldn't reconcile their differences, so they, they parted ways. Of course, then we're also introduced to other characters like Timothy and many others in the storyline that we'll pick up later on in the scriptures as we continue to read them together. And then that vision of the call of the Macedonians. Send somebody over. I mean, there are great passages that we have read this past week. And if you didn't read it, I really encourage you to go back and read this because this is some of the most exciting time in the early church's life. Then we have Paul and Silas now. They end up in prison again. There's another great earthquake. And all the, the doors are open just like it was before with Peter. But they don't escape. They stay. They weren't led out. They were led to the jailer. So even though they were arrested, thrown in jail, they continued to worship God, sing hymns, and God led them to the Philippian jailer who him and all of his household was saved. And then there's that comical scene where they want to get rid of Paul, and he's like, no, no, no. You just had me beaten and thrown in jail. You remember that? I'm a Roman citizen. You didn't ask that before you beat me. You just knew I was also a Jew, so you took advantage of it. He said, you're not going to do this quietly. And so those who were in charge basically groveled at him, and they apologized, and they led him out, and they said, please leave our city. It's too much trouble. And so they did, and they moved on. Because you see in the life of Paul, he's open, he, he faces open doors to where the gospel spreads, but he also has doors shut in his face, and some slam close as hard as they can. But he continues on his missionary journey. I like to use the word journey. It's not just travels, because he doesn't know exactly where he's going. He's just letting the Holy Spirit lead them. Lead him and let the gospel take effect and work. 
He first goes to the, the synagogues where those who would have been uh, predisposed to this gospel message because they were already longing for a Messiah. Paul just connects all the dots for them. But in many cases, they are thrown out because of jealousy, it says. Because power is being stripped away from the leaders in these local assemblies. But it's not to stop them. They keep going to, to places like Philippi and Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, and Antioch. They travel in all these places. And it leads us up to, to chapter 19. And I want to focus on one verse in chapter 19. is verse 23. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. That's it. That's what I want to focus on today. The way. That was the Christian movement. That was the movement of this Holy Spirit from when it descended on Pentecost as it spread through these early congregations. The way. Now, many times we fall victim to our own way of thinking. We really do. Because we, we see buildings and structures and institutions as the place. But that's not where the vibrancy is. It is in the movement. So let's talk about what is the difference between a movement and an institution. A movement is exciting. It is full of energy. There's a bit of chaos involved in it. There's energy and hope. Now institutions, they seem stale. They seem clinical. They seem sterile. But in institutions, we find something unique. We find structure. We find a focus. We find a hope that has been realized. But there is a problem with movements and with institutions. With movements, it's easy to see the problems because little things can stir up and just blow up out of control in a, matter, in a short amount of time. It's where we see demonstrators in, in, turning into rioters, these kind of things. But the Christian movement was in the book of Acts. It was the way the Holy Spirit had flowed through all of the believers. It changed things. So as we consider the differences between this movement that we are reading about and the institution which the church becomes... Let's focus on the context of this chapter. So in chapter 19, it begins with Paul in Ephesus. And they're making a name for themselves. They really are. And so there are believers that are coming. And when Paul gets to Ephesus, there were already those ahead of him that had heard of John's baptism. You know, John the Baptist who baptized Jesus way back when? This John. The one who preached a baptism of repentance. But he also preached a baptism that pointed to somebody else. Now this isn't a day of social media and instant information. And so some of those who had heard John, who had gone out to the wilderness and had been baptized by John, had resided in Ephesus. And they didn't keep up with what was going on. They may have were ignorant to what had taken place. But they believed in the message of John and the one that he proclaimed. They just had not yet been introduced to Jesus. So when Paul comes there, he takes what already is working in their heart and he expands it. 
He teaches about Jesus. And they learn about this Holy Spirit that is ascending on all those, that has empowered Paul to preach and to heal and to cast out demons and to all these things. And they are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. These Gentiles in Ephesus are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. Yes, speaking in tongues right here. We don't practice that in our, our church. We say it doesn't exist, but I think it does in some context. But we in a Western culture have closed our hearts to the working of the Spirit in this way. Because we want to believe in intellectual things. Things that we can wrap our heads around. We'd rather have long discourses of doctrine and theology than talk about how the Spirit in life ends the believer and gives them the power that comes from outside of themselves. But there they were in the synagogues for three months speaking boldly and they were kicked out again. But they stay. They withdrew from those synagogues and they remained there for another two years preaching and teaching about Jesus of Nazareth and how he saved the world. And then there's an interesting scene here. The heading of mine says the sons of... Uh, uh, I'm not going to pronounce that name. I'd totally butcher it. So you can read it there for yourself starting in verse 11. But there's these Jewish exorcists that are going around these days. And, and they found that there is power in the name of Jesus, but yet they don't really believe. So they, they, they try to find the loophole. Always good to find the loophole, right? And so in verse 13 it says, And then some itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over, who had evil spirit, over a man who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you uh, by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So we're not going to say it ourselves, but you know, this Paul who you've given power proclaims. Do you know what happened next? I hope you do. If you don't, this is a great story. I suggest you go back and read it. Kind of a little scuffle and some nudity involved, and I'll just plant the seeds there if you're really interested. Please read that section. Wait till after I finish preaching, but go back and read that section. But there are many who become saved. But there is a cost of a movement. There is an economic reality of a movement because a movement changes things radically. It's not like an institution that takes years for things to be affected. It's like government. It takes years for things to go, go into effect. But movements happen now. And as the movement took hold, many of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in sight of all. In all of the community, they burned them. And they, found, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So those who had become Christians, those who believed in Jesus as their Christ, as their Messiah, they let it invade their whole body. And when they went home, they looked at their shelves, and they saw all of these books, and all of these things that they were drawn to in their ignorance. And they knew that only it was one God. It was only Jesus Christ who had any true power. They had seen what the power of the Spirit was doing in their community, how it was changing lives forever. And so they gave up their old ways at a cost 
if they had this much value in books, it wasn't because they just liked to read. I mean, this isn't a day where you just bought books for pleasure because they were expensive. So either you were wealthy and had a library or it was part of your livelihood. Now, you would invest in these type of books if it was a way you made a living. We already see that the Jews were making a living as exorcists during this day. And the pagans were making a living in the magic arts. If you had a headache, you didn't go to the store and pick up some aspirin or Tylenol. You went to see the witch doctor, right? Some tribal nations today still practice these black arts. You can watch movies in Hollywood and see how voodoo is still ever presence. Of course, if you've ever been to New Orleans, you can see it for yourself firsthand. But there are pockets here, and they gave it up. Of tremendous value, they gave it up. But this economic impact also affected the community. Where there was this one scene where it was a party and a bonfire, and everybody came together, and they increased, and, and they were, were driven by the Spirit to do bolder and bolder acts. Not all were impressed. There was a certain man by the name of Demetrius. He was a silversmith. He made a living also by the black arts or by the pagan religions. He crafted idols, crafted charms. He made all of these things that were associated with the temple. And in Ephesus, there was a, a great city of uh, Artemis. There was a great God that, that was their city God that they wanted to make sure they maintained. And so Demetrius had a problem. His profits were declining because there were so many in the community that were turning to this way, to this radical movement, and they were completely changing their lives that they didn't continue to invest their resources into false gods. And so he stirred up those and said they're going to be the ruin of our nation they're going to be the ruin of our city and he stirs them all up against Peter to where it's almost breaking out in a riot and you see how the story goes and, and, and they're brought in and then there's a, this court case and the government stands up for those who are practicing this new religion this movement this way the government intervenes here it says, if therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are pro-councils. Let them bring charges against one another. But if we seek any further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we are really in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion and when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. The government intervened on behalf of the Christians here. So let's talk about a movement and an institution. Are movements vital? Yes, absolutely. Are movements powerful? Yes, absolutely. But there's a thing about a movement. When it's just a few of you, it's easy to control. But as it spreads and grows, the sheer volume of communication and the chores that takes place requires more. 
In this book, as Paul is going on missionary journeys, we don't see him addressing all the little problems of a movement. That comes in the rest of the New Testament. That comes as he writes letters to the Corinthians, to the Thessalonians, to, to those in Philippi, and so on. To those early ministers. Because as the movement grows and gets to a substantial size, it has to institutionalize itself. That's not bad words. We, we think it is because we see that institutions can be bad. They're stagnant. They don't do anything. They don't do what they're supposed to. They don't protect the people that they are supposed to protect. There are power-hungry hypocrites in charge. And I'd agree with you at times. But we are institutionalized in the church in the New Testament. We are teaching how you are to worship together, to give advice on leadership structures, how men and women are to relate as husband and wives. We are given this kind of language. But it seems to stall the movement, doesn't it? I don't think so. It just changes its focus because there is a cycle. And here's the problem with a movement in an institution. If you stay in one camp too long, you fail. If you stay in a movement too long, you end up in a riot. And you end up in chaos. You end up where the spirit is more than the doctrine. Flip forward to the book of Revelations and look at the words to the seven churches. There are some there who have great power and influence, but they are weak on doctrine. And so just because they have spirit doesn't mean they're changing lives for the better. They have a broader influence, but they have no effect. To use political terms, they had a great speech, but no policy. They could inspire, but to what? And as this book unfolds, we'll see it more and more. But institutions, if they stay institutions, they become dated. And they become the place of power. Not the power of the Spirit, but the power of human endeavors. Because the longer we do something the same way, the more we tell ourselves that we are doing it. If we get to the point where we consider the efforts that we put in are worth the outcomes, then we have become a stagnant institution and we have forgotten our roots. Go back into the 1990s, the time that I grew up. Churches were all about programming. So they had programmings for youth, they had programmings for children, they had all these different events. And everything was specialized and crafted. And if your church was small, where you could sign up for these programs and they would send you the instructional DVDs and how to do all this stuff. Maybe it was VHS, I don't remember when that changed. But you had these programs on how to grow your church. If you wanted to host a revival, a revival, a reviving the Spirit, there was instructions on how to revive the Spirit. It's not like those uh, uh, CP whatever, whatever machines that you put the stickers on you. I've lost my train of thought on that. But it's not like those where you just follow the buttons and you wait till it makes the code and say stand clear and hit it. And 
you revive somebody. That's not what it is. A revival is the Spirit moving. But as we institutionalize the church, guess what? Our programs actually started developing very weak Christians. So we had those who came for the youth, who came for the children, who came for the parents, who came for the, the marriage enrichments, who came for the senior adult luncheons, who came for this, who came for this, who came for this, and you filled your pews. But you didn't have a spirit that wanted to seek and save the lost. You didn't have a spirit of people worshiping together and fasting and praying and fasting, waiting for God to say where to go. You didn't have visions of people calling you to come to them. And it became stagnant. And so many people mourn today that our young people have left the church and never to come back. It's not necessarily true. They're not coming to the church you want them to come back to. But they're doing church in a very different way. Not necessarily always the best way, but the way that they figured out. And so if you want a vital community, if you want a community that is alive with the Spirit of God, just like we find in the book of Acts, you got to spend your time on your knees. You've got to spend time worshiping together. You have to spend time seeking God's direction in your life. Not just complaining about what music is being sung, how we don't have the programs we used to have, how we don't have this, how we should have this. If we just had a better preacher, if we just had a better singer, if we just had this, this, and this, everything would be together. Well, if you read church tradition... Paul wasn't known as a gifted speaker. He wasn't known as this great prophetic voice, this voice of God as you hear some uh, orators fill the pulpits. He was known as a good writer, but kind of a weak presenter. Well, if he was a weak presenter, have you not just read this story if it wasn't him with these persuasive arguments that were just inspiring people to change and become Christians, then what was it? It was always the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit chose to work in people who opened up a place for them in their lives. And for Paul and Barnabas in the church, they did it by gathering together removing food from their life so that there would be room for the Spirit to work. I'm not saying we all need to go on a hunger fast. But if your schedule is so full, you may make it to church every week. You may come and gather and even do Bible study. But if your schedule is so full, where are you leaving room for the Spirit to work? How can you hear the voice of the one calling you to come over if there's not a room on your calendar to be filled? So as we read this story, don't be afraid of institutions because they focus and pinpoint our strength. But equally, don't be afraid of change because as we see here, as the Spirit moves, there is an economic cost of change. For the people here in Ephesus, it required them to give up their livelihoods to turn to God. 
What is it requiring of you? So in the end, we see that Paul was forced out and sent on his way. The church of Ephesus would indeed live on. Lives here would be ever changed. And many would be remembered in our story and for sure in the book of life. These stories still encourage us today because we see where the power truly lies. It is not in our human endeavors, but it is the Spirit who works in and through us. So as long as we learn to get out of the way of God and let Him do our job, not our job, but let Him work through us, God's will will be done. So please join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the encouragement of your scripture. Lord, we we seek you now that you may fill our hearts with direction, with purpose, with a plan. We seek you now so that you may show us how to live, that you may give us the strength through your spirit. Lord, teach us to look over our own lives and see where we are filling in our work for yours. And teach us to let those things go. Let us be mindful that you will speak to us when we give you room. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now as we enter our time of invitation, if you've made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ and like to come forward and let everyone know about it, please come forward. If you are in need of prayer, please come forward.